We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. It's an easy one to go to, but, I mean, it really can fuel a lot of guys. And, yeah, you know, with all the things we've been through as a group and the things we've accomplished, now to be somewhat doubted, you know, you could say in a way, or not have expectations on us. Yeah, there there will definitely be a lot of guys that have a little chip on their shoulder. I think as a group, you know, in general, we will have that. Um, we know, but at the end of the day, none of that really matters. Like I said in the beginning, it kind of we focus on the group we have in that clubhouse and stick to the positivity, and we know where our end goal is. We have our, our end in sight. We know where we want to be. And so we just focus on each other, building those relationships, and put in the work every single day, and then we know we'll end up where we need to be. Kyle Hendricks right here on the score earlier today, earlier this afternoon, as a matter of fact, on the Parkins and McNeil show. Always good to hear from Kyle Hendricks, who's definitely considered the ace of the staff this year for the Cubs. really undisputed. It's not even close, whereas in past years it had been close. The Cubs had luxuries in the past. They no longer have luxuries. Mark Grody here with you until 10 o'clock. Grody Show in for the Joe O Show tonight here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. I'm in a weird place with baseball. I love baseball. I'm ready for baseball, but I'm not really ready for spring training nor spring training games. I think it's because I'm trying to figure out the psychology of myself, and I think it's because it was a 60-game season last year, and I kind of enjoyed it, but it left me wanting more, and it wasn't that long ago that it felt like they were playing real baseball games. So I actually want more of the real games now. And I'm just like right at this very moment. This could change. I'm not in the mood for the minutia and the spring training storylines and the spring training games. And like I'm ready now for baseball games. And I don't know. Maybe it's the pandemic. Everything is weird and out of whack. Maybe it's the pandemic. I don't know what it is. But I'm just not in the mood for for the spring training storylines. But that's what we have. That's what we have to go with. And there are some interesting things to talk about, despite the fact that I am not overly desirous of it. Um, Kyle Hendricks, again, on the score today. And uh, my guys, Spiegel and Parkins, they were, they were you know, grilling them on the, the lack of velocity that's in the, the starting staff. That, you know, it's this rotation where it's, where it's Davies and Mills and Arietta and who knows else, which I'll get into. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's not a, there's not a lot of MPH the way this particular rotation is set up. And Kyle Hendricks, like he always is, the affable man that he is, was okay to take on that question. Here is Kyle. 
You know what? I think uh, we're going to have to intimidate people in the strike zone. You know, when, when you start breaking bats and uh, when someone is 0 for 3 and they look up and you've only touched 86, you know, it starts to get in their head a little bit. So I think at the end of the day, if we just focus on getting outs and making pitches, that's the name of the game anyway. You know, so it's, it's a good thing for us that velocity doesn't win games. Um, I'm really excited about the group we got, honestly. It's, it's like you said, a bunch of guys that can pitch, change speeds, move the ball around. Uh, but we all bring a little something different, you know. So, But at the end of the day, each one of these guys wants to win and they compete out there, and I've seen that from the other side. So it's just really going to be fun to get to know these guys, learn from them, you know, hopefully um, build that camaraderie, you know, and have that have that end goal in mind where we want to be at the end of the year. What you said, you know, when guys are when you're sawing off bats and getting weak contact and seeing guys being frustrated, but you're not blowing them away with velocity. I would imagine that has to be a very satisfying feeling to like. They're like, man, I should be able to hit this guy, but I just can't. Is that is that a is that a thing that you've been able to experience often? I would imagine. Yeah, you know what? When you're out there, it's not something you're thinking about because you're so you're just in the zone. You're going pitch to pitch. Obviously, if you get a weak contact out. Yeah, it's a positive. You think about it in that way, but you're kind of just moving on to the next thing. It it really hits home when you start playing with guys, guys come over that you've played against, you know, and you start talking to guys you've faced on the other side and, and they start telling you those things that how frustrated they get, you know, and looking up at the velocity, uh, up at the radar gun and not seeing the velo up there, but still being over three over four or whatever it is. Yeah. When you have those conversations with the guys, you, you can feel how frustrating it is, you know, not to be able to get to those type of pitchers. So, so that's just something we all have to use to our advantage and uh, realize that we don't have to be, you know, we don't have to be anything extra. Just be who we are, take that out to the mound, and, and it'll be enough. I'm really looking forward to watching Zach Davies um, every every fifth day. Kyle, have you and Zach discussed your stuff and attack plans before this moment now where your teammates, like, have you in- intersected? Because for years people have been saying you guys are similar. So I'm wondering how much you guys have talked through the years, if at all. Yeah. Yeah, no, so we've kind of always seen each other from across the lines, just like you said. We know we pitch very similar, very similar approaches, and so I think I've always respected him a ton and loved watching him pitch every time he goes out there. Um, but, no, we haven't had much interaction outside of that. So seeing him here in the clubhouse, his locker is by mine, so it's just really good right now just talking and getting to know him, you know, getting to know each other as a person first. And obviously we can fall back on baseball. We could talk about baseball all day long, so that's – that's usually where the conversation goes, and it's just it's just fun talking pitching with a guy like that that has such a similar approach, but still he goes about it in his own way. You know, he's he's telling me things or bringing things up in a way that I wouldn't have thought about it. So I think it's going to be a great relationship for the both of us just to feed off of each other. Um, but again, yeah, I'm really really excited that we got him on our side now, and because I've seen the things he's done against our team in the past. You know, so the way he competes and, and loves the win and what he brings, I think is going to be huge for this team. Yeah, so there's Kyle Hendricks again on the the Parkinson Spiegel show today on the score. So Kyle Hendricks has always looked great in a staff that was surrounded by other star pitchers or guys with velocity, whether it's Lester and Darvish or Jake Arrieta or whomever, a complimentary guy in a way. And it, it has taken him a long time to get to where he is, and that is as the ace of the staff. I don't know if that will still be – I assume that that's going to be the case still going into this year unless the Cubs have a surprise party that they have withheld from us so far. And, and who knows, maybe next year things change. But he has 
always looked great and has always teetered on that that fringe of being the top guy on the staff, even when it was Lester or Arietta or you Darvish. He's always teetered, but you always the Cubs always had the luxury of keeping Hendricks down just a notch. And that is because he is hittable. There is that part because of velocity. When it goes bad, it goes bad. Joe Madden could be frustrating with Kyle Hendricks. Remember, I mean, hell, Game 7 of the World Series, Hendricks was taken out when he probably should not have been taken out. But the thing with Hendricks is, because of the, the lack of velocity or the power pitching or what we all see, the, the flashy, bright object, when things started to go badly for Kyle Hendricks in the Joe Madden era, the second they started to go badly, and again, the best example is Game 7 of the World Series, you pull them out because you're like, okay, this is where the magic kind of ends. They're onto it. There are other guys who maybe when their stuff starts to go a little bit bad, they still have the velocity to make up for maybe the changeup not working as well for Kyle Hendricks. And he did struggle in that regard last year at times with with the changeup. Um, but it's taken him a long time to get here to have that 100% trust as the the locked and loaded number one guy no doubt about it. And I remember even David Ross saying last year that, I mean, I think he felt some of that frustration. David Ross did with Joe Madden for pulling Kyle Hendricks at times, like at the second that there was there was trouble. And that was because of, of the velocity. But he, he now is the ace of that staff. I don't know what it actually means to not have velocity guys on the starting staff, but I, I have not pushed off of my stance that right now you still don't have a division competing starting rotation. You know, I mean, Kyle Hendricks is terrific and he's going to give you, you know, the 200 innings and probably have a really low ERA and maybe even be in, you know, get votes for Cy Young. That is possible. Beyond that, it's just not there. Zach Davies is a professional pitcher, but what? Really? A four or a five. Alec Mills is what? Really a four or five. Yep, I'm saying the same thing in the same tone of voice over and over. Um, Jake Arrieta, we just don't know. I suppose that, that he could get back to not where he was in 2015 or 2016, but back to being something. But we don't know. And then then it's a bunch of question marks with Adbert Alzali and Cole Stewart and Shelby Miller and Trevor Williams and Braylon Marquez, all of those. There, there's a lot of question marks, and obviously there's a lot of teams that are in this situation too that have question marks beyond their one or two, but I think the Cubs have question marks beyond Kyle Hendricks, period. You know, you get your professional pitcher does not necessarily mean good pitcher. And that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about Zach Davies. So so we shall see if, you know, what it looks like early on, if they add another pitcher, who ends up getting those those final spots in the rotation. But until further notice, I'm concerned about the Cubs even competing in a yeah, it's a bad division. But even that said, I am. I am concerned. All right, the other thing I was thinking about as it pertains to the Cubs is the manager, David Ross. I saw a headline recently that said Ross says he was too patient last year. And I think that that's just indicative of a guy who was in the first year of 
managing. Never done it before at any level, right? Never had been a coach, except for maybe his kids, at any level. Um, And before I get more into it, Kyle Hendricks said something that caught my attention as it pertains to David Ross, discussing the meeting that Ross held with pitchers and catchers. Take a listen to this. He kind of almost sounds like he's getting angry at times because he's so fired up and so passionate. But he start, he's, you know how he is, really loud guy. Uh, so everybody, yeah. everybody can hear him. But, uh, no, he, you know him. Being a former catcher, he just he had a lot to say about the pitcher-catcher relationship and how much responsibility is on, you know, th- those that battery, basically, to control the flow of the game, how much influence we have on the game in general. Um, and, you know, it starts and stops with us. We set the tone. So a lot of things like that, just uh, really setting the tone from day one for the whole group. Yeah, he took it. He took it easy on you guys last year, Kyle. You know, like he's he, he said he's not going to be quite as patient. Um, and I think that's good, man. Like David, David knows when people need a kick in the butt and you guys can take it, can't you? Absolutely. Absolutely. And guys with these personalities, I mean, we've been through it all in sports, you know, and sometimes you do. You need that little kick, uh, even if you don't think you need it just to get you going and like you said, David, he's the best at those. Not only he knows the guys so well, not only the guys he's played with, but he knows his team. He knows his roster. He takes the time to get to know these individual guys and talk to them. And so he knows which buttons to push hundred percent, you know? So yeah, he just, the more he can just be himself. Uh, I think he's settling into that role. Uh, obviously he's very comfortable. It seems like he fits perfectly in it. So we're, we're just excited that he's our guy. That's Kyle Hendricks right there on the Parkins and Spiegel show. Did I say Parkins and McNeil show? I might have. I very well could have. Um, so a texter says I did. I, I, I bet I did. I, I won't even fight it or argue it because every time I think about their show or saying their show, I have to stop, think about it, and then say it just because there have been many different manifestations of our afternoon show in the last 10 years so or spiegel parkins and mcneil combinations so pardon me if i occasionally botch what is going on in the afternoon show on the score but um it is danny parkins and matt spiegel they had kyle Hendricks on the air today and there he was talking about david ross so I don't know what that means. Like, I think that we, I think that David Ross did did proceed with some caution. I think he was a guy who knew what he didn't know last year. And now he's probably going to take some liberties or do some things from an authority standpoint that he didn't do last year. I mean, I remember there being, I think when he got his first, or when he made his first visit to the mound, all the players were kind of mocking him, and which was fun and funny, and I enjoyed it just like everybody else. But it was almost like it felt like, okay, there's the moment where he's still kind of a peer of these guys. Like, you're not going to get, like, imagine that happening with Tony LaRusso. If Tony LaRusso makes his first trip to the mound and all the, the young White Sox players are cheering him on, or there's a ton of examples you could give. It's just like, it still did have that feeling of Ross is the buddy on this team. He did show some authority at times. I'm not saying that, like, he did things incorrectly, but I do think this year that there's he knows what he's doing. You know what I mean? Like, we when we all start jobs the first year that we're in them, whatever it might be, there's, like, a huge jump once you literally know what you're doing, where you're going. Sometimes it's geographical. Like, <laughs> just, just that comfort level that you have, and then you come in and things are completely different. I'm looking forward to seeing what the next step is 
for David Ross. I think he's going to own it a little bit more. It's going to be his. He's not going to be afraid to do certain things, maybe be more aggressive, maybe get in guys' faces more. And we don't know how much he got in guys' faces last year because none of us were in a Cubs locker room last year. But I can go on my experiences from when I covered David Ross as a player. And David Ross, like we all, like it sounds like, like a fun thing to say, oh, he was a leader and all that. But I, I was there every day, home and road. David Ross would get in guys' faces, whether it was players, sometimes media members. Um, Ross was not afraid to do it. And it wasn't like in a jerk way. It was in a here's the way it's going to be, just didn't mince words. I mean, and that's that like that's one of the only times that in my career, and I've covered every locker room in town a lot where I saw leadership occurring and it made me believe in leadership more because it was not something that I took it seriously, but I never really thought it was like top of top notch in terms of how a team operates or why a team could operate well because a leader, oh yeah, blah, 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 leadership. Leader is the best guy in the team. As the first time I saw it in action, David Ross, not the best player on the team. He was a backup. You know, he was a backup player, but this guy had respect from everybody in that locker room. Still does, but I think there will be more of an actual separation of powers this year between David Ross and the players. And I think that that works in their advantage because there has to be. And, you know, Ross finished, what, top two or three for manager of the year. For, um, so he, he did great, supposedly, in his first year, but I think there's, there's a jump that can still be made for David Ross. Um, all right, quick break. When we come back, I actually took some real things away from the Bulls game last night. Like, I don't know, like ultimate conclusions, but there are at least, let's see, one, two, three things that I took away from the Bulls win over the Pistons last night that I want to share with you. So some Bulls talk next. I also have to share with you a text chain that I have going on with a couple of friends and something that is supposed to happen at Wrigley Field this summer that I think you might be amused by. So Bulls talk and Wrigley Field talk next. Grody in for Joe O on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? 
Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Levine spins that ball, aims, fires, in and out, stays out. Rebound Bay for down to the final five seconds. Bulls lead by three, 105, 102. Here's the top side pull up by DeLon Wright. Short at the buzzer. Bulls win. Bulls win. Bulls win a thriller. 105, 102. As they came back from a 25-point first-half deficit to beat Detroit and a Motown meltdown at the United Center. To me, sometimes it's amazing when guys can get wrapped up in stuff they have no control over instead of the things that they can control, like guarding the ball, blocking out, getting back in transition, being physical, getting over screens. And, you know, I just thought that they really just completely took it to us. It wasn't even a matter of schemes. They were just driving us and taking us. And I thought in the second half, we had a lot more resistance than we did in the first half. Bulls with a really nice win last night over the Detroit Pistons, 105 to 102. Chuck Swirsky, I feel like I got to match his energy now. Swirsk on the call right here on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score, Billy Donovan, the head coach of the Bulls, right after that. Yeah, Zach Levine leading the way with 37 points. He has mastered just about every shot. I love. There's two things I love about Zach Levine in his offensive game. The step back three, he's really got that. And it's almost an essential part of the NBA. You got to have that step back three, or it's a hell of a weapon if you can, if you could pull it off. And then he just like his acceleration of the basket is great. Like, I feel like he is like has entered into that category of players in their prime through history who can get to the basket whenever they want. Can't do it every time. Don't want to get killed. And you got to keep them honest with the threes, and the three ball is a devastator in this NBA. So you don't want to do it every time, but the, he he is pretty. He is pretty to watch go down the lane. Like some guys muscle and slug their way. Like Derrick Rose was just like a bolt down to the basket when he was in his prime. With Levine, there's a glide to it, but the acceleration, is, it's like it's very pretty watching Zach. Like watch him go to the basket. It's pretty. Um, so Levine was doing his thing, and he's been great. So here's a couple of the things, though, that I, I took away from from the Bulls and what they are right now, what they are right now, because the Bulls can change in season, end of the season. We know that well, what they are right now could very well not be what they are in a month or in a year. But anyway, Wendell Carter Jr. is back, and he, he seemed to have had a very determined look about him since returning from injury. He had 18 points last night, three rebounds. Thad Young, nine points and 10 boards. I'm putting these two guys together because it seems like Thaddeus Young, especially as a veteran, he is so comfortable with who he is. He is a guy that is going to make his do his work in the paint. He does not look good when he takes outside shots, and many times he is just left wide open, like at the free throw line, and passes up shots for either a pass or dribbles down low to get the easy basket. So he he is who he is, um, and he's good at being who he is and comfortable with who he is, and has become a real contributor. I think the other takeaway is that I think Wendell Carter Jr. is getting there as well because at the beginning of the season in the preseason and in the early maybe the first game 
<laughs> Billy Donovan was still like, Wendell, shoot the three. Go ahead, man. Just We don't care. Just blast it from out downtown because that's the NBA, and that's what lots of big men do these days. But it didn't work. It just wasn't working. It, it And I think that... I think that the Bulls are comfortable with it, and I think Wendell Carter Jr. is comfortable with it. That he is again who he is. He is a guy like 18 points was extraordinary. I don't know that that's going to be where he gets in the NBA. I think he's going to be more of a 12 and 8, 12 and 9, 12 and 10, maybe a double double guy in the NBA. But I do think that he is he is becoming comfortable with who he is as well. And you don't don't force something that doesn't exist because I I just. I think we're finding out that Wendell Carter Jr., the long-distance shooter, that's not who he is, and there is value. Now, I don't know if you could ultimately have two guys on the team that are in that regard, and obviously one is coming off of the bench. Um, so it's different guys, not necessarily on the floor at the same time. But that was one of the things I was thinking of, and it didn't just magically happen in that game. It, it's been going on, obviously, Thaddeus Young has been a revelation for the Bulls this year relative to last year. The other one is is Patrick Williams, who is one of the best parts of watching the Bulls this year because you you know that he's probably part of the future. It's the only thing you could kind of lock in your brain about how Arturus Karnaschovas works. A, a both sides of the ball guy, um, a worker, a hustler, all that kind of stuff. That's Patrick Williams. But Patrick Williams has been a classic rookie. He's been really good sometimes and really bad sometimes. Sometimes he goes away. Sometimes he, he can't mix great defense with great offense where his shot is just nowhere to be found. Last night, there were some moments where Patrick Williams struggled, but he ended up with 15 points. And that three he hit from the corner, that was huge because there were moments... And the Bulls, if you didn't watch the game last night, they were down 25 early, and they came back because of a strong third and fourth quarter, obviously. But Patrick Williams, that shot from the corner, he's been left open for that shot many times this year. And there was a period of about three or four games where Patrick Williams was passing up that shot, the corner three, and either dribbling or passing, just passing it up. Like he, It was noticeable that he became gun-shy to shoot that. And, you know, that that's one thing we're seeing with Billy Donovan. He doesn't want guys to be afraid. You know, if it gets to the point with somebody like Wendell Carter, where maybe we just need to go ahead and stop doing that, they're going to stop doing it. But he wants these guys to shoot. So that was a huge moment, I think, specifically that shot for Patrick Williams to do that and to have made it and to then act like he's been there. And they pointed it out in the TV broadcast last night. It was just like his... He was like, yep, that's right, I made that. He wasn't like, you know, jumping up and down, running to the sideline, forgetting to get back on defense. As a matter of, I think there was a timeout called anyway, but um, that was big. That was big for Patrick Williams in a, in a solid game. I still don't know where he maxes out or who he is or what he is, but last night was an encouraging moment for Patrick Williams. And then the other one is, and I've been on this a lot this year, it's Kobe White. Kobe White last night had eight points and six rebounds. And those numbers aren't great. And he struggled with his shot a lot last night, but he did what he has done many times this year, which is incredibly impressive. And that is not have a great shooting night all night, but then still hit shots when it counts. Man, that is a talent that I would say most guys in the NBA don't have. The ability to be 3 for 10, 3, 4 for 15, whatever it is, and then just 
not have the least bit of fear in hitting a shot in the fourth quarter. Kobe White did that again last night. Eight points. Did not shoot well. I don't have a shooting percentage in front of me. Didn't shoot well. I can tell you that. But he did hit a big three in the fourth quarter when it counted in clutch time. And that is a very important skill set. You know what I mean? Like, we talked about Kobe White not being part of the starting five at some point this season. Or at least Billy Donovan was asked about that. Even if he does, and like that's a classic case of it ain't who starts, it's who finishes. And I want Kobe White finishing every single game the Bulls play. And he's been inconsistent. He hasn't learned how to be a point guard. That is for sure. But the one thing I'm no, I've learned, and I, I, you know, the evidence built enough last night to where I am talking about it and reporting on it now. Kobe White is a fourth quarter threat, no matter what happens in a game. So those are the three things that I, I took away from from last night's game, and I think that they are things that aren't going away. The things that I have taken away. Um, the other thing too was, my God, my God, my gosh, Jeremy Grant, woof. 43 points last night. He is the um, he is of the Harvey of the Grants, by the way. Come on out of there, Harvey. Harvey Grant, the twin brother of Horace Grant, who is Uncle Horace. But Jeremy Grant, man, 43 points. And he was driving to the basket, hitting the, the mid-range game. So even, even while watching that from a Bulls perspective, that was fun to watch that guy gobble up. Like they were just like they weren't trying to fool anybody. We're giving the ball to Jeremy Grant. He's going to either hit a mid-range jumper or he's going to drive to the basket. And he did it with with huge success last night. So that was a good win for the Bulls last night. Didn't like the way they played in the first half, and I know you didn't either because they were down 25 points. It wasn't their best win. Their, their best win actually came in the the previous game, and that was the overtime win against Indiana. I thought that that because that's a quality team in Indiana. I mean, Pistons are 8 and whatever, 8 and 20 or something like that. Um, Indiana's a pretty good team. They beat Indiana on the road and you know, some some pretty good defense on Sabonis, although he ended up getting his but missed a lot of shots inside, but it was overtime. They stopped the big runs by Indiana. So, an impressive couple of wins for the Chicago Bulls as of late. Um we're going to get into some more Cubs talk here in just a bit. Specifically, you're going to hear, you're definitely going to want to hear this. Jed Hoyer giving out some good information to Dan Bernstein and Layla Rahimi today on their show. We're going to get into that. But I don't know where you are, because right now we are in the midst of, in terms of the, the pandemic lockdown, we're in the worst part of it just because pandemic a and then the weather b so if you live in chicago or the suburbs as you presumably do it sucks right now out there because you're not doing anything if it's not the pandemic it's the cold but i I am seeing light at the end of the tunnel in august one of my buddies from isu said hey um my wife and my two girls want to take me to a Wrigley Field concert. I'm a big music guy. I like a lot of genres. I like new music. I like old music. The concert, though, that I think I'm going to go to, assuming it happens, and obviously there's no guarantee of that, I am going to dare... Not only am I daring going to a concert, but it is the... (laughs) 
<laughs> it's the following. Def Leppard, Motley Crue, and Poison, baby, at Wrigley Field. I clicked yes. I said yes. I will go. And this is, okay, Def Leppard. Let me give you my history. When I was in high school, I did love Def Leppard. No doubt I would go to Def Leppard concerts. I thought Def Leppard, like Pyromania, it kind of rocked. Hysteria got a little bit sappy, but there's still still some good stuff. It's a little, it's sugary. I get it. But they kind of like, like Pyromania days, and then there was an album before that with like Me and My Wine. Like there was some rock to Def Leppard before they kind of sold out. But I like their songs in a, in a cheesy way. Now, those other two bands, Motley Crue and Poison, they were kind of the bane of my existence. Like, I hated the glam rock era. Like, all those bands, Poison and Motley Crue and Rat and, you know, all of them. And that's why I so appreciated the 90s and the return. People call it grunge and all of that and alternative rock. But what it was was the return of rock. That That's all it was and so i so appreciated them and they were the ones that basically knocked out those bands but now now i actually i'm not saying i appreciate those bands more but i'm kind of i'm kind of for it now like i'm i'm for the amusement just to see even though i hated it then and i took it way too seriously probably cuz they didn't rock now I'm kind of interested just from so many different standpoints to see what they look like, to see. I think the thing that I'm most looking forward to about going to hopefully this concert at Wrigley Field is the clientele because you're going to get probably, like, there's always young, always young people that go to concerts no matter what, but you are going to get some top-notch old-school rockers, clientele, um, you know, people dressing up, um, some old school ladies. It's going to be, that is something that's very interesting. And this has been a topic of conversation during commercials for me on a text chain, discussing, <laughs> discussing plans to go see Def Leppard, Motley Crue and Poison. So I felt I needed to share that with you. And I do hope just for the, just for what it would symbolize, like actually going to a concert, I hope it happens. I do have my doubts. I got a feeling this is going to be like Rage Against the Machine last year where I'm going to get my money back and I don't want my money back. No, you keep this and let me come see your concert. But uh, we there, shall see. Dude, there is a, a concert that I'm supposed to go to this summer that I like you, I hope happens. And it's, it's for a band called The Format. I don't know if you ever heard of them. They they I have had not. all right. They they had their run in like the late two thousands ish. Okay. So anyway, I got into them like right when they were ending. They only had like I can't remember if it was two or three albums, but they're like phenomenal. And so I don't know if you you know the band Fun. No, but you've told right. me about them before. Okay, so it's the lead singer from Fun. For those who know them, is the lead singer from the format. That was his previous. The format was the thing he did right before. Fun. But anyway, it doesn't matter. I've loved this band for like a decade, more, maybe more, and like have so many of their songs memorized. And they're finally doing a reunion tour. They were supposed to do it last year, a three-city tour. It's like New York, Chicago, and L.A. Me and my friends managed to get tickets for it in Chicago, even though it was ridiculously hard to get. And, of course, they had to postpone it. And it's supposed to happen this summer. If it doesn't, and I have to wait even longer, I might lose my mind. <laughs> it's Yeah, you can't really guarantee yourself anything this summer like as far i'm looking at it as it's going to be a bonus if i get to go like i feel like 
until further notice, the summer is probably, again, canceled in terms of summers that we knew in Chicago. But, yeah, man, I, I am I am with you. I don't go to as many concerts as I used to, but I usually go to a couple a summer or somebody's got tickets. I'm always game for it. So you got to – oh, that's another thing too, man. Like I am in training right now because this thing, this pandemic will eventually end, and when it ends – are you going to be fat and out of shape? I mean, be ready. We are going to be around people again. You will return to your cubicle, and you want to look good. So join me. And I know Studs is in shape because he's always running about 25 miles a day. But if you need to get in shape, man, it's now is the time because all of a sudden it's going to be like, yeah, groups are allowed to get back together. Do you look how you want to look? So do it now. All right. When we return... Let's hear from the general manager. God, I keep he's not the general manager. He is the president of baseball operations for the Chicago Cubs. He is Jed Hoyer. He was on the score today. I'll set it up and say goodbye to you here in just a second on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Oh yeah. Pour some sugar on me. Probably one of the most popular songs of all time. Let's face it, man. Um yeah, and texture is right, high and dry. Like that. That album did rock. It was kind of hard. Pyromania kind of rocked as well. And then, you know, bands do what they got to do. They got to tone it down a notch, come up with a ballad or two. And Def Leppard was extreme. It was like Def Leppard versus Bon Jovi. And and now, like, all bands ever, they still... There's no band that doesn't exist. Every single band has made some sort of reunion or still alive in some way, shape, or form. No band is gone. I guarantee it. Um... I'm Mark Grody, and I want to send some thank yous out to Hub Arkish and to Aaron Lemming for coming on the show. Thank you to Adam Stadzinski for producing the show. I'll be back on on Saturday morning for Saturday Suckage with Mr. Steve Rosenblum at 11 o'clock in the morning. And who knows when else I'll be on, you know? Who knows? We'll see. Uh, But I will let you know for sure. Right now, I want you to hear, up until the top of the hour, some of the interview with Bernstein and Rahimi with the president of baseball operations for the Chicago Cubs, Jed Hoyer. Have a great night. We heard uh, a lot of your opening comments, and I guess I'm I'm struck once again by the what you say about the core and about who is still here. And we didn't know how long, or we don't know how long the group is going to be here. But again, we we are reiterating that we know these guys can play better. And that's been the theme of the last few years of them regressing to the mean, to the back of their baseball cards, whatever uh, you want to say. Why will this year be different? Why would, is there a reasonable expectation that it is going to happen now? Yeah, well, I mean, I think I think this is a complicated topic, right? Because I think that um, there's no doubt that um, the offense has underperformed. You know, at end of 2019, uh, we struggled. Actually, we hit, we hit pretty well in September, but. Other than you know, we struggled in, in um, we struggled in September of nineteen mightily, and then obviously uh, in twenty twenty, you know, the offense it was a struggle. Um, and I personally don't put a whole lot of stock in what happened last year. There was a short season, and there was a lot of factors at play that I think you know led to that. But you know, it's a very complicated topic. Of, you know, why? Like people say, you know, why do we believe in this core? And I think part of it is that you know, despite the fact that collectively we, we've struggled, I do believe individually. And each one of these guys, we've watched them, you know, not even in the distant past, have a lot of success. And I think when you look at at each guy, you know, we take, you go, you know, Wilson behind the plate or, you know, Riz at first, Javi at, 
at short, you know, Chris uh, at third. I mean, all these guys have had so much success in the big leagues. We've done a really poor job of sequencing that success. I think that's a, a fact. You know, we haven't, you know, grouped those great seasons together, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, individually, you know, I, I really believe in each guy and I really believe each guy is going to have a big year this year. Jed, you add to the team in bringing in Jock Peterson. I think it's okay to talk about Jake Arrieta to you now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so where is this team at as far as, as additions and trying to create this roster as a whole for, for the season coming up? Yeah, you know, I think over the last, um, I guess, probably like three weeks now, we've been able to really, really bolster our team, add a lot of depth, and, and add some really talented guys and guys you – that you just mentioned, you know, and we were excited to, you know, bring in Jake and, and Trevor Williams onto the, into the rotation. And I think Jock will be a, a really nice addition for us. And we, we've been able to, you know, to add Chafin and, and Workman now to the, to the, the bullpen. Um, you know, listen, I think we, we probably will continue to listen on, on various things when it comes to, to free agency. There's still a lot of guys out there. It's a late winter and there's a lot of, a lot of guys available. I, I don't know whether we'll have additional major league deals, but I think, you know, by and large, I would expect our team, you know, knock on wood, you know, barring injuries to, to look pretty similar when we, when we open up. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think we're very happy. We've been able to make those additions over the last few weeks. And I think it really does help our outlook and, and, and certainly help our depth. And I'm a broken record on this topic, but I do feel like depth is going to be such a, a massive factor this year. The teams that avoid injuries and the teams that have depth, I think are going to have a real advantage in a year where, most pitchers aren't going to be able to just go out and throw 185 innings. Take us from the Jake Arietta free agent workout to the decision to sign him. What did you see? What did you talk about? And how did you reach the conclusion? Well, first of all, he looked really good in, in the bullpen he threw for a lot of teams. Um, we, I was talking to Jake before that, before his workout. He, he, was, he was going to do that, but we were in contact before that. Um, and I think for us, it just confirmed that, you know, there's, there's no question that there, there's certainly good baseball left for this guy to pitch. You know, obviously his last two seasons with Philly uh, were a little bit injury plagued and, uh, you know, weren't, weren't his best. Um, but I don't know. I have a lot of confidence. I think Jake has a lot of confidence in the fact that, um, you know, he can sort of reach his, what his current potential is the best with the Cubs. He's comfortable here. Um you know, he's been he's trusted these coaches to, to make adjustments with him. He's trusted these trainers and these strength coaches to make adjustments with him. And I think that matters. I like like I said, I think that comfort matters. And I think that you know, you know what what Jake has left and what in in, in terms of um, you know pitching really good baseball, I think the Cubs will will maximize that. And I think he feel he felt the same way. And that was why you know it felt like um, a likely reunion. I think after the first couple of times we talked, because I think. You know, I think he felt that way, and I think we we certainly felt that way that you know this is the place where he was going to be able to, like I said, maximize what that, what he has left at age thirty five. I think he's gonna he's gonna get the most out of himself as a Cub. There's been a lot of talk about the possibility of having a six man rotation this season, partially because you have to manage for potential COVID issues as well. Where are you at with that idea? I mean, it could happen from time to time. I think a lot of teams will probably say that. I think that the challenge is that. You know, with a 26-man roster, um, if you go with a six-man rotation um, continuously, you just get really short in the bullpen. Um, and so I, I think you know, there will certainly be times we probably throw an additional guy in there to give guys a break, you know, but I think that to, to do it on a, as a 
rotation, so to speak, I, I think it, it is pretty unlikely. But I mean, it kind of goes back to what I was saying about depth. Is you have to think about all sorts of different um, things when it comes to the rotation this year because um, you're trying to figure out how to, you know, how, how to divide up that 1,400 innings. I think coming off of a 60 game schedule where guys didn't throw anywhere close to that, I think we all know that you know almost every pitcher in baseball is going to need a break at some point or or multiple times, and, and that's not something you ever talk about on a normal basis. So even a guy like Kyle Hendricks. You know, we, you know, Zach Davies, Trevor Williams, guys that have, have pitched, you know, a lot of innings in the big leagues. We have to think about them the way you almost think about a young pitcher sometimes. And, you know, they're not going to be tremendously limited, but we just have to be aware of their tiredness throughout the season. And then obviously with a guy like, like, like Azale, we have to think about that you know, even more so because, because he's a young pitcher and we have to think about where his innings are. So that's just a constant focus. And, you know, we, we, we're not going to start the season like some teams have said they'll start with a six-man rotation, but I'm sure there'll be times during the year we have to utilize it. I'm still concerned about the lack of velocity in the starting staff, and I know you said we're not going to light up a lot of radar guns, and, and believe me, I know about pitch design and pitch lab and seam-shifted wake and laminar flow and all of everything that we want to talk about, how to, how to maximize the way the ball moves outside of how fast it's moving, but, you know, velocity – and what pre- extra pressure does that put on the defense, on being properly positioned, on making those plays, on sequencing the pitches, on framing? It just seems like it, it, it dials up the significance of everything else. I think that's fair. I mean, listen, I, I think, um, you know, obviously you, you'd rather have a rotation of guys throwing 97 with, with power breaking stuff. I think that's, that's ideal. Obviously, you know, everything, you know, is not going to be perfect. And I think we have a – a staff of, of, of really good major league pitchers that have kind of bucked the trends and, and been able to, to pitch with, um, you know, using pitchability and, and using multiple weapons. And I think we have a, a pitching infrastructure that has certainly succeeded with, with those kind of pitchers, but yeah, of course, you know, like by, by definition, the, you know, the, you know, the ball is going to be in play more, which is going to put more pressure on, on our defense. I do think we have really good positioning and really good defense. And so I think as a result, we have a, you know, in addition to the pitching infrastructure, we have um, you know, a, a better chance than most teams to be able to to succeed with pitchers like that because you know we have uh, you know because we have we have really good defense. But yeah, I, I think there's no question that you know you obviously would would prefer a, a, a power staff that can strike out 30 percent of the batters, but we don't have that, and as a result, we're going to have to you know work really hard on positioning and work really hard on on pitch design and and, and maximizing what we do have. Jed, to take over this team at this time, I can't imagine the transition that you go through and and just the backdrop you have with this pandemic, even though we're a year in. When you look at your offseason leading up to this spring training, starting with the U Darvish move, even going back before that with the press conference that we heard a little bit of with Theo introducing you, and then moving through to try to get to this end game or at least the point we're at now, how do you assess it knowing that there was a lot of news, a lot of talk, impressions that were made and then also moves that were made afterward. Yeah. You know, it's, it's certainly been a, a fascinating last, you know, six months or so, you know, for sure. Um, I, I guess I, first of all, I, I would say that, you know, I always look at this in terms of a, our department and as a collective and we have really great employees here. And I think that's really, that's really helped me a lot. You know, I can, I can lean on them so much. And so, I never feel like by any stretch of the imagination, I'm not, I'm not doing this alone. I have great people, you know, that are part of staff that we've built over the last nine years. And I think that that's 
gives tremendous comfort. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. I think the hardest part for me actually is just being on Zooms like everyone else in the in the world right now, like, you know, not being in the office with everyone on a daily basis. You know, I'd go in the office, but it might be one or two people. And I was so excited yesterday because, you know, we started spring training and all the intake. Once we got through that to actually be together with our staff, really for the first time, you know, uh, since the pandemic, it, it feels really wonderful. Cause I think that's been one of the hardest things. We have a, a rhythm to these jobs and a, and a sense of how we make decisions and how we, discuss things and obviously we've had to make adjustments but uh it'll be really nice to to sort of get with everyone and and, and feel like we're playing baseball again and and frankly listen i I, like everyone in the world like you know nothing's going to feel you know normal at this point you're not you know you're even watching i'm watching our practice right now you know nothing is you you got a bunch of guys in masks throwing and and keeping their distance and we just did meetings outside and i mean everything's going to feel different and uh it's not going to feel like it did um, you know, like like in my mind's eye when I imagined uh, if I took over, you know, the, the president job of the Cubs, Cubs this isn't going to be what I imagined in my mind's eye because of the pandemic. But that's okay. We have that's that's life in 2021. I think we all have to make those adjustments. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.